In the still bit do bit of the night. Do bit Oh man, you got that low note. That sounded good. Are we going to introduce ourselves every every episode now? I just I, I feel like we are getting new listeners every time, so I just want people like to know who they're listening to. Okay. Uh, um, I'll start again. Here goes something like this. Okay, please. I'm Nate. I'm six foot five. I'm Stephen, and I am five foot ten. And this is movies on the side, and together we make one eleven foot two inch something like that <laughs> mega person. We wear a long trench coat and a bowler hat, and we can get into R rated movies. That's right. We look like we're from the uh, Thomas Crown Affair. That's a good movie. We should do that one too. Ooh! If you're a new listener, first of all, welcome. Welcome. We uh, talk about movies. A lot of times we talk about bad movies. <laughs> it's a struggle because some of them are really bad. But I think today we're talking about a better movie, Nate. I think so too. So, listener, we're reviewing the 2008 movie Australia, starring Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman. And I don't know how this movie flew under my radar. I did not know this was a movie. Until you told me, Nate. I can't believe you missed it. And I like Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Done all the X-Men's. We've done Hugh Jackman. We did our top five Hugh Jackman movies on here. We did. This was one of your top five. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I had never heard of it. 2008, it's not like super old. Nope. You know, recent movie. But this movie, I'm curious what your thoughts on this too. Uh, it's Rotten Tomatoes. It's kind of right down the middle. 55% critic score and just 65% audience satisfaction that makes sense to me it really does yeah i think a lot of people missed this movie i don't know about the marketing when it first came out it wasn't a foreign film right like this was no no i I don't think so this was released in america my hope for this episode yes of movies on the side is that people who have never watched australia would watch it it's an interesting movie you know i wanted to say this at some point in the episode so i'll just say it now Mm mm-hmm let me just say, Nicole Kidman's eyes and Hugh Jackman's face can cover a multitude of sins. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I want to say about this movie. Yes. And there are many amazing shots of those two things. We need to talk about this. I am so excited for this movie. <laughs> I'm at the point where I need you to guide me because I will kind yeah, of just yeah. Jackson Pollock my thoughts all over this movie. I need you to guide the brush. The premise of this movie, which I think we watched this over like 18 different nights. so Right. Because I believe it's two hours, 45 minutes long. 2.45. Yep. It is not yeah, like yeah, it. Right it is that. that. It is that. All right. This movie is set in Northern Australia before World War II. And it is very, there's this whole intro montage talking about the indigenous people of Australia and such. And that was somewhat interesting. I did not have a ton of background knowledge there but that is actually a huge part of this movie right i would say for most movies when you get a graphics card that you really have to read through at the beginning it's usually a sign of oh this isn't a great movie i would say a graphics (laughs) card or a an ancient prophecy spoken and spoiler alerts for our next movie that it has both of them the next one we are going to do (laughs) has them back to back but Australia uses it in the same way I would say that Baz, Boz, I don't exactly I know Boz. how to say his name. I think it's Boz. Boz. Boz uses it, I think, in the way that a 1930s movie would use a title card. Right. And I would say that a lot of this movie, he kind of pulls a Wizard of Oz-esque vibe with the matte paintings and the look of this. So I think that's kind right. of what they were doing with this title card. I'm going to put this in here now, too. Sure. So, Boz Lerman, the director. I have seen two movies from Boz. Now this one and Moulin Rouge, Mm -hmm. 2001. Right. You've seen Moulin Rouge? I have. For some reason, I missed the fact that Boz Lerman was the director of this movie until the very end when his name came up on the screen. Ah, okay. And I wish I had known that at the beginning because I would have interpreted some of the look and feel of this movie Mm. with that lens. Right. Not knowing that, parts of this movie felt strange. Some of like the grand green screen work and like those paintings type scenery that you just mentioned, it felt weird to me. Because a lot of the movie was not that. Now, you compare that to Moulin Rouge, Moulin Rouge feels 
wholly fantastical. Like the whole thing right. feels like this, not supernatural-esque, but you know, that like, how do you even describe that? Dreamy? It's like, yes, whim, whimsical. Like a whimsical dreamscape. I think fantastical, the one, the word you used, I think that's... Yeah, out. like Moulin Rouge is clearly fantastical. And so you, you watch the movie with that mindset and I love it. You know, I, I enjoyed that movie and the music. Nicole Kidman is in that one as well. Really good. This movie, I felt fantastical in moments. And then much of the other movie was very like gritty and real life. You know, Hugh Jackman is a drover, a cattle herder whatever you want I'm to sorry. call him. What was the word you used there? I don't recognize it in an in an American accent. <clears throat> Drova. He's a Drova. 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 He's a Drova. <laughs> it was also interesting to hear Hugh Jackman in, in his natural Australian accent in a movie. That oh man. Felt great. But anyway, so much of this movie is that gritty, earthy feel. They're in this desert herding these cattle. They're on a ranch in the middle of the desert. So it feels just real lifey. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to Darwin, the city, it starts having that fantastical feel, but it, it doesn't go all the way there. And so I, f- I felt like in limbo. I don't know. I, I, I wish it would have gone further in one direction or the other. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it is. A, this movie does have a narrator who is Nala. Right. You, we hear at the beginning that the boy is narrating. Grandfather teaching me. Most important lesson of all, tell them stories. So it gives me the feeling like this is one elaborate story. And the, the, a lot of the theme of the movie is story and the story that you tell. Mm-hmm. And it is a strange mix between these gritty scenes and these storybook-esque right, right. shots, that sort of thing. So anyway, I, I guess I just prefer it would have been in one or the other. You wanted to it to fall on one of the two sides. Yeah, well, because they also have this Australian indigenous people vibe. Sure. Which is a large part of the story. Nulla is obviously a pivotal character. And so that part also has this kind of supernatural feel. Like, holy, like that is a supernatural feel. Right. You know, the whole like spiritual type thing. And then his grandfather is just standing there naked sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes he's up on the mountain dancing. Right. And so you have that. Again, like, to the the fantastical elements of it, which make you feel more like, oh, this is a story told by a boy and the boy believes, you know, believes in magic. He's like the whole and the magic right. man sort of thing. Right. You can right. tell that it's infused in his story is the... The, this whole lore. Right. Um, my question is, is Moulin Rouge told? It is. Moulin Rouge is also a story told by Ewan McGregor. Right. Yes. In his typewriter, right? Yes, he's, not, he's narrating. Yes. What a great way to bring fantastical elements into a story kind of based in real life. Right. To have it be a story and the narrator is adding these flourishes. It's sort of like a yes. rationale for adding these fantastical elements. Exactly. Yes. So let's get into it just a little bit. Okay. So Nicole Kidman, English woman whose father owned Faraway Downs, this ranch in the desert in Australia. Right. Right. And he is killed, presumably. This other guy, the bad guy, the friar from Van Helsing. I honestly couldn't find him on the IMDb. Hold on, let me see. IMDb has the cast list by order of appearance, which always bugs me. Such a mess. Like, because Carney Boy find... number three, I love you, Shay Adams, but <laughs> I'm not going to talk about you in this episode. <laughs> right. Like, it's so hard. David to... Wenham. Uh, Neil Fletcher. Okay. He's, he's the bad guy, right? So he's trying to eliminate all competition from the cattle industry in Australia. And Faraway Downs and Nicole Kidman's dad's ranch was kind of the last competitor. No, 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 no. That's her husband. Oh, it was her husband. Her hu- Excuse me. Her husband is was out there, Maitland. He was killed. And so she goes down and she is determined to continue running the ranch, even though she has zero idea how to do it or experience, and enter Hugh Jackman as Drover, the guy who actually knows what he's doing. It takes some convincing, but you know, manages to, agrees to work with her to get this thing going. Mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman has a love for the indigenous Australian people Mm -hmm. and feels very connected to them. And so we see this kind of throughout the movie where he defends and like, you know, he kind of constantly talks about the walkabout that Nulla has to do. Right. That's part of like the Aboriginal culture. He also, we find out later that Hugh Jackman was married to 
Magari, the guy that he hangs out with, his sister used to be Hugh Jackman's wife, and she died. So he's like, you find out later, right? Maga- Magari comes to him and basically says, like, you've closed off your heart ever since my sister died, and that's like the reveal. Right. This isn't about walkabout, is it? Is it? You're running. I'm not running, mate. Yes, you are, brother. You're scared of getting your heart hurt like before when my sister died. Clearly, the movie centers around the love story between Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman. The first part of the movie is them trying to get this herd of cattle to the city to get on a ship so they can sell their cattle. So they can be... Get those cheeky bulls into the metal ship. The cheeky bulls. And throughout the movie, it's hilarious that Nulla refers to Nicole Kidman as Mrs. Boss. Yes. She's she's Mrs. Boss, which is cute. I'll, I'll give him that. Let's just get to it right here. Romance Corner. How do you feel about Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman? (sighs) This is a great question. This question, a lot of the movie hangs on it, and my thought is it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I actually Mm -hmm. think the romance is a big part of it, but I don't think it's the main part of this movie. Right. So Romance Corner, I think they are good. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I actually think this is the most likable Nicole Kidman has ever been for me. Really? Hmm. I think more so than Moulin Rouge. I think more so than, uh, what other movies is she known for? You ever see The the Interpreter with Sean Penn? Okay, she's pretty good in The Interpreter. Yes. Yeah, she's pretty likable there. I think she's extremely likable in this. Yeah. And her story arc going from kind of prissy English woman to outback (laughs) drover herself. (laughs) I'm just not used to people making decisions for me, that's all. I was just expressing an opinion. Their relationship, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Do I? Would I consider it one of the best romances? No. I believe it. I think it has some of the most interesting things I've seen in the movie when it comes to one person kind of just wanting to keep living their life with Drover keep wanting to drove and do his thing and worried about being tied down. Right. And her thinking that as soon as they started falling in love that he was going to change. Right. I think that's a very interesting thing to show. But I think that was the most interesting, not necessarily their like together forever romance. Right. What are your thoughts? I feel the same way. I do believe them. I like them as a couple and like their conflicts. I believe their conflicts and I believe their resolutions. There's the moment where she invites him to a party with a bunch of fancy people, and he is just adamant about not going, and then suddenly shows up clean-shaven in a tuxedo. And they shoot him like Humphrey Bogart is back, (laughs) and it gets a little bit of that old-timey movie fade. I think he's wearing a little bit of eye makeup, freshly shaved, like... There's a lot of slow motion in this movie. I think Hugh Jackman's clean-shaven face gets a good 30 seconds during that scene at different times. <laughs> it really does. But I still like that scene. And it, it, he would—he did not look like a slouch before in any means. Like, right. I would say, right. as we talked about before in a different episode, Hugh Jackman is peak Hugh Jackman. But when he's clean-shaven, Boz says, can we get some more close-ups, please? <laughs> why did you move the camera why is that shot not still on screen right hold that hold that shot keep going keep holding can we have rain can we have rain now yes which i was gonna (laughs) i did have a note that that rain felt totally random (laughs) just wholly convenient but it it was symbolic of the wet season coming and the end of the droving season that was all meant to be that a new cycle begins This movie, in my mind, is divided into two separate movies. Mm-hmm. I would call part one, Drove a, Drove a Gun a Drove. <laughs> so if yeah. you, I, I, when I watched it this time around, I saw it in two parts. Mm-hmm. If you stop it at probably like the hour 40. Right. Uh, the Drover, Lady Ashley, get across the Never Never Land. Right. They get to put more than one hoof on that wolf, and they load the cattle in and break <laughs> King Carney's monopoly on the beef industry towards... Right. I really understood more of the story this time around. I feel like I really understood what was going on. And it felt like the movie ended right there. It could have. 
it really could yeah. have ended right there like falling in love lady ashley's like loving australia their success they're bringing faraway downs back to prosperity right and there's a reset there that i love that boz does he then says this is what your happily ever after could have been mm, but then he true. just keeps going and plays it out in a very compelling way like well what about this what about the fact that the drover still wants to like go off and do his things right what about the fact that like it doesn't mean that king carney is just going to roll over and not do anything about it right or that it that nala will never be caught by the the trackers or that war isn't coming a couple things i think were cool elements they have several scenes where they're watching a movie in the city Mm -hmm. and it's basically like the theater but it's it's one theater just a bunch of people watching it and you see like soldiers and people like that watching it that was a cool historical element i thought to to put in there right but i was also not ready for this movie to turn into a war film right at that like two hour mark or whatever that was right so nala does get captured at some point right has to go to this mission island off the coast of australia with a bunch of other indigenous kids and such so one of the parts of this movie that is very important is that Nala, who is the child of Neil Fletcher and the one of the ladies that ends up dying in that... The water tower. Oh, man, that was a tough death scene. That was a very sad scene. Yeah, yes. That was intense. That he is biracial. He is part Aboriginal, part white. And so these kids are all the kids that get taken to the Mission Island. Right. And the, one of the themes of the movie is that these kids are like the stolen generation they are like right. considered like without a people because the the dads for example aren't uh, claiming like they're not taken in they're seen as no good right and so th- like that's one of the the things is that i believe in like an opening can we can we get a uh i know this is i don't i'm not meaning to bully you can we get that early <laughs> Nulla thing about what he calls himself and like what he is? Yes, we'll find it. Yeah, because he ex- he basically explains the whole plight of this lost generation at the beginning of the movie. Like, I'm not white fella. I'm not black fella. Right, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I will try to insert that here. King George, he teach me how to catch some fish using magic song. See, I'm not black fella. I'm not white fella either. Them white fellas call me mixed blood. Half caste. I belong no one. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so, so that's his plan. So he gets sent to that island along with a bunch of other children like him. Mm-hmm. And then Darwin, this coastal city of Australia, gets bombed. I honestly looked it up during the movie because I had never heard of this right. event. I didn't know if this was a fictional thing or if this actually happened, but it was, in fact, a thing that happened in World War II where the Japanese bombed this coastal city of Australia. And it was like one of the few places in Australia that was affected by the war. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Right. It was full on like mini Pearl Harbor scenes for about 15, 20 minutes. Right. And it was pretty intense. Well, yeah. What a pivot in this movie that Boz makes. (laughs) Right. Because it's almost like war is brought about to you as the viewer as alarming as it was to the people of Australia. Okay. Because it's almost like it interrupts the story in a way that I think puts us in the same place as those people in Australia who are worried about cattle and who are worried about money and land and all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, everyone gets bombed. And it, it makes everything else, in some ways, seem ridiculous to worry about Right. when war is there. And I think that's an effective tool. That's a good point. And Nicole Kidman is working in the city in like some telephone office Mm -hmm. at the time of the bombing. So Hugh Jackman goes and thinks she's dead, but he knows that Nulla is on this island. And so he steals a boat or something and goes to rescue Nulla. With our good friend Ivan. That's the bartender guy, right? Right. And he was also in Moulin Rouge. He was the Argentinian. Oh, that's hilarious. Yes. I like Ivan. Who is also the indigenous man? Marguerite? Marguerite. I, I just want to say at this point, he is one of my favorite characters in this movie. Oh, man. The conversation that he has with Hugh Jackman about his wife that died, that was a great scene. And then in this scene, as they're rescuing the children, <gasps> and he sacrifices himself <gasps> so Hugh Jackman and the kids can swim to safety. Nate, I was not 
ready to feel the feels that I felt when he drove him home, Drova. Oh my goodness. That was so sad. But I was totally there for it. Like, Oh man, it was so good. Very effective. Well, you gotta make it. You got family now. You gotta drive this mob home, driver. Well, Hugh Jackman manages to rescue Nulla, who survived the bombing along with a bunch of other kids. Mm-hmm. They go back to the mainland and he finds Nicole Kidman there as well. She's not dead. Right. It was Neil Fletcher's wife that died, the bad guy. Right. His wife died. Prod's not power. So he's very, very mad. Is going to shoot Nulla. And then there's this scene. It was almost comical. Yep. But it was also rather satisfying. When Nulla's grandfather, the naked indigenous man who's been singing on the mountains and such. King George. King George. He, he mounts a water tower. In the city, one of the few remaining standing tall structures. Mm-hmm. And marksman sniper-like <laughs> hurls a spear and impales Neil Fletcher perfectly. Right. And Neil Fletcher turns around and yells at King George while he's been <laughs> impaled. <laughs> Which seems like it would be tough to do, right. to be honest. I, I both was satisfied in that moment and was also like, it was kind of humorous yes. the way it went down. Exactly. I forgot to ask this before but how did you feel about neil fletcher as a bad guy i really liked him i really okay Mm -hmm. i would like to well what did you think about him because then i want to expand this question i think there were some moments where he was definitely menacing like when he goes to fairway downs and threatens nicole kidman basically right and implies that he killed her husband he is very intense in that moment and i'm like oh all right. But there's a lot of other moments where he's just super weasley and snivelly, mm-hmm. which I guess, you know, if that's the part, I guess I believe it. But I guess I've not seen him in a lot of roles like this either. Like my my reference is the Van Helsing Friar role. Yeah. It's amazing that you saw Van Helsing first. I mean, like most people did because it came out first. Right. But I saw this movie before I saw Van Helsing. Okay. I could see how that would shape your view of him differently and i'm sure he's done other movies i just can't place him in them right so i was i was here and there like i believed him as a bad guy i thought he was very menacing at times other times i was like eh, he seems a little silly but didn't do it but he didn't do it for you as the bad guy i honestly felt the the other guy who was always on the phone king carney king carney i felt like he would have been a great actual like main bad guy which like he kind of was sometimes, but not really. I think he, we're supposed to believe that he was definitely the super bad guy. And then we find out right. later he didn't know about Neil Fletcher killing right. Lord Ashley. So I liked that moment and turn where King Carney, like, he's not totally a bad guy because he's just a, a ruthless businessman, but he's not down for right. killing people. But him in the role as Neil Fletcher, I think, would have been more conflict creating and like okay. i don't know maybe but it was fine it, it didn't take me out of it or anything i'm in personal captain but i got a business to run and you got an army to feed so let's not muck about all right here's my expanded question yes i'm going to lead it with a sentence i loved the casting in this movie mm-hmm. i thought there were a ton of side characters that i absolutely resonated with and rooted for yes and I want to go through some, um, but I want to ask you first, are there any uh, side character stars? You you mentioned Moguri as being one of your favorites. Yes. And one other one, I, I literally have been scrolling through IMDb several times trying to find his name, and I, I can't even find him in there. But the assistant drover, when they're herding the cattle, he's like the, the drunken... Kipling Flynn. Kipling, Kipling Flynn. Flynn. Jack Thompson plays Kipling Flynn. No, 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 not me. I'm the orchestra. That's why I always carry this. The famous J. Albert and Son Boomerang harmonica. Can you play that rainbow song? Well, him, I, I enjoyed him. He reminds me of that pilot from The Mummy, which I know you yes, hate. Yes, yes. But he reminds me of that kind of character. Who sinks into the sand? Yes, that guy. But I like him and I like the character in this movie, but his death. Oh my goodness. <gasps> that was intense. And seeing him like face all swollen and such, I was like, oh my goodness. Like this, all this is rough. But I did. I really liked him as a character and I was really sad when he died like that. Yep. So uh, him and Marguerite. Definitely top side characters for me. Here are some of 
my favorite characters. Those two for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. I thought this is a he's super side character, but Dr. Barker. He is the long faced guy who Lady Ashley talks at the ball, who he's basically like oh, the yeah. guy who's like these children not worth saving, basically. Oh like, yeah. Ruthless, like, yeah. Yeah. I thought he was terribly ruthless and great casting. Yeah. I thought Ben Mendelssohn, our friend, the Sheriff of Nottingham from the Robin Hood episode we did, was Captain Dutton. Oh, he had the mustache. That's right. Yeah. He was a great character. Yes, I did like him. I thought he was great. I thought the Ivan, obviously, I think was top notch for me. I think his the the line when Ivan talks to after Hugh Jackman thinks that Nicole Kidman died and mm-hmm. Ivan basically won't let Moggery into the bar. There's only white right. guys in there. And right. Hugh Jackman repeats what Nicole Kidman told him earlier. Really great scene. Uh, I thought he was great. Just because it is. I thought King George was great. I thought, like, as an actor, I was like, man, I believe you. Yeah. Like, I believe that you are this role. Yeah, absolutely. I totally believe that he was Crazy Mountain Man. I liked the the priest who goes back to save the boys, the young priest. He yes. has such yes. a small role in this. <laughs> I mean, I just want to give an applause to the, the casting. I just think the casting in this movie was great. Yes, I agree. Yes, the casting was great. I did. I loved a lot of this. Neil Fletcher's wife, who was kind of a sweet woman who doesn't know her husband's a monster. <laughs> right. All those little scenes where the ladies are like talking about Nicole Kidman, like I, those are all kind of funny. Right, fun and, scenes. and yeah. even in the scenes where it's like supposed to be really poignant, where she's losing Nala, and they're like, oh, she's embarrassing herself out there. Right, and right. it's just like you just want to throw a pie at them because it's <laughs> yes, so great. And I will say. I think there are beautiful scenes in this movie. Obviously, there's so many shots of Nicole Kidman and Hugh Jackman that are amazing shots. Like if you scroll through the IMDb, every frame oh, is you know looks it looks amazing. Right. They're amazing looking people, so it's not hard. But still, there were great scenes, and there is the one again the Baz Luhrmann feeling picture of the docks. Right. In the city of Darwin, like where you see the big ships. It's kind of exaggerated matte paintings is what it feels like yes. to me. And that that cued me, again, I still didn't know Bob Lerman directed it, but that mm-hmm. cued me as to like, oh, this is what this part of the movie is trying to do. Right. But And I enjoyed it. It looked beautiful. And he, especially when they're coming back on that sailboat and you see that picture and then you also see the little sailboat coming back into the dock. Like that mm-hmm. was a very beautiful scene. Okay. So in musical corner. I thought mm. of you when I watched it this time because yes. I loved their use of the Somewhere Over the Rainbow interval. Oh my goodness, yes. the, And they kind of use it every once in a while. Sometimes it's it's like they play with it and it's a bit in like a minor key, but they still do that octave jump. That, yes, yes, yes. So yeah. I, I thought that was played with really beautifully in the, in the score. Can you speak of any? I enjoyed it too. I also liked... I don't know what the Australian equivalent is to Aaron Copeland for like Rodeo and you know all those kind of uh, American-y mm-hmm. type West right comp- compositions, but they had that kind of music when they were droving the the bulls and all that kind of stuff. So right. I, I I enjoyed that. The Somewhere with the Rainbow theme that comes throughout is really nice, and when Nulla plays it on the harmonica, which again the guy I forget his name again Kipling Flynn. Kipling Flynn, who gave him the harmonica, right? Didn't yes, he give him? Yes. Very touching, and the fact that he keeps playing it. Yeah, I, I love all of that. And the echoey Somewhere Over the Rainbow, that's how Nicole Kidman finds Nulla and Hugh Jackman when they come back from the island. I love... I sing you to me. It was all very nice. I sing you to me. Yes. Mrs. Boss! Mrs. Boss! Okay, I have a few relationships I'd love you to just give your thoughts on. Yes. Uh, because there are so many great relationships in this movie. Because there's a lot of time, they can kind of develop some of them. But even the ones that can't develop too much, I think have a little bit of weight to them. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Yes. Remember how we said I said in Romance Corner, I think there are more important relationships. Right. Here are some of them. Mm-hmm. Just give me your quick thoughts on them. Drover, Moggery. Oh, yeah. I love that relationship. Yes. Kipling, Flynn, Nala. That was, again, very touching and heartwarming. Yes. Ivan, everybody else. 
<laughs> yes, I love Ivan in all those scenes. Yes. Lady Ashley, Nala. Yes, and the scene where Nala is being taken away on that boat and Nicole Kidman is like crying out to him. Like, I totally believe that scene. I will, yeah. Of like the I will come find you. I will. Yes. That relationship, I think, to me, is one of the stars of this yes. movie. And it speaks to, you know, she wants to hold on to him and raise him as her child, mm-hmm. which Hugh Jackman resists and then kind of plays the part, but goes back and forth. But then to finally release him with his grandfather for a walkabout, mm-hmm. I totally feel Nicole Kidman's emotions in that moment. Like, she wants him to go. These are part of his people, but she also really doesn't want to let him go. I, I totally believe all that. Right. I think it's, I think it's very beautiful that relationship king george and nulla it was interesting like (laughs) i like a character like king george Mm -hmm. to be honest like however weird or awkward it can be like when they just kind of insert him dancing on the mountain randomly Uh i'm totally down for it i like that i like (laughs) that kind of stuff me too i don't i don't know why but i'm down for it and so even like you know we don't see him interact with nulla a ton at the end when nulla goes off with him i'm like yeah, okay, I believe that. Right. Makes sense. They do something in this movie where it is as though throughout the movie, King George is calling to Nala. Right. And it's almost like King George is representing his Aboriginal roots. Right. That are constantly kind of tugging on him, like, don't just settle into this white fella society. Right. And that scene with the bulls, when they're all charging at him, and mm-hmm. Nala's like right on the edge of the cliff, and the yep. music or his singing stops them. I, I like those moments of like, is there something supernatural to this right? <laughs> in, indigenous music or not? Like, right. I, again, I like those moments. And so I, that's why I also bring King George into that as buying him also. Like, yeah, yep. I'm down with that. Okay, so. this is a subtle one. But Lady Ashley and Ben Mendelsohn were the captain. I like their interactions. I think this was a very subtle but beautiful thing because the captain kind of starts out with a little bit of a romantic interest in Nicole Kidman just at her beauty but it turns into a very like a very nice friendship and he's really rooting for her success yes and then at the end like he can be part of the saving the kids from the mission island right i like i liked his the way he was especially towards her yeah yeah i agree i agree and then the last one i have is carney king carney and neil fletcher <laughs> I like their interactions for sure. I think them talking on the phone, <laughs> I don't know. I found that while they looked at each yeah. other from far away. Yes. It's like yeah. walkie-talkies. I, I enjoyed that. I liked the hyper-Australian accent from King Carney. Oh, man. And his, like, all business. Yep. I liked I liked that character for sure. I was down with that. You got them ready to load, Neil? Yeah, we're right to go. Because I got a feeling the captain's going to put pen to paper. All hail the king. Speaking of great casting, the actor who played King Carney is Australian. Mm. Nicole Kidman's Australian, d- doesn't play an Australian. <laughs> right. Who's the guy that plays Nala? Brandon Walters. They actually like found mm. him in Australia. Like, really? His parents dropped him off at a local pool, and they were like searching for kids. And he was like, yep, you'd be great. He has basically just acted in this movie. I mean, he was in... A little bit of a TV show hmm. a couple years later. But now I did, like, where is the kid who plays Nala? Where is he? Nala, where is he at now? Right. And he's just living a pretty modest life in Australia. Mm. That's interesting. With a couple kids of his own. That is super interesting. He says at some point in time I, in the interview where they asked, like, well, what's been going on? He said, uh, Hugh Jackman sent him a video a couple years back of him and his son. He told me he wanted to catch up sometime. What? Yeah. Man, I like Hugh Jackman. And apparently, uh, Nicole Kidman had offered to pay for him to go to school in Sydney, to acting school, but he declined. He didn't want to leave his family. Oh, my goodness. Nate, all this backstory is making me love this movie even more. (laughs) It should have no bearing on the movie, but that's really cool. (laughs) But it does. It kind of does. Can you hear that? music can you hear it well are you ready to rate this movie nate did i have any other parts i wanted to a kangaroo gets shot in this movie and it's hilarious it shouldn't be but it is (laughs) okay so let's rate this movie 
on a scale from zero to five cheeky bulls. Mm, grosse billabong. <laughs> Nate, I would like you to go first, if you don't mind. I'm going to give the movie Australia four and a half cheeky bulls. I thought you were going to say five. Boom, like right there. No. Four and a half okay. cheeky bulls. Everyone, in my opinion, everyone should watch Australia. It is heavy handed. <laughs> it is at times fantastical. It is simultaneously trying to convey three or four morals of the story. Right. That we talk about the moral of the story of this. I think this has a lot of different ones. Yes. Kind of all tied together. Yes. It is long, so that it's a little bit of a strike against it, but if you got some time or you got two nights in a row, right. you can definitely split this viewing up right in half. Hugh Jackman is a beautiful man in this movie. Yep. And Boz knows it. <laughs> and I yeah, yeah. kid you not, I searched for Henley's Henley shirts after watching this movie. <laughs> Not that it would make me Hugh Jackman, but it would get me one step closer. One step closer. closer. Exactly. <laughs> one step closer. And so, yeah, four and a half for me. Yes. Let me ask you. So you saw this a while ago. I did. And then you rewatched. And then you recently rewatched. I saw this like the year after it came out when I was in college. So ten years ago, right? You saw this movie, and then now again recently. Yes. Did your recent viewing? Did, do you find that you had more nostalgia? for the movie than it deemed worthy or did you feel like rewatching it confirmed your enjoyment and love for the movie? I think it confirmed my enjoyment. I don't think I realized how many of the lines mm. between my college friends and I, I would like, I don't know mm. how many, like I didn't realize how many lines stuck with me. Okay. Saying prods not power in an Australian <laughs> accent. I still at right. times will use that. I don't know why I still don't know what it means exactly. But I'll still use it. And also singing, Mongo, Mongo. <laughs> and I have to say one thing before you rate it. Okay. Are you on IMDb right now? No, but I can be. All right. Hop on there real quick. Yes. I have one beef. This is a shout out to Ben Lopez. Oh. Hopefully he still listens to this podcast. Yes. Tough to say. <laughs> this poster for Australia. Oh, yeah. Her head should definitely be on a shoulder. I think her head is designed to be on a shoulder. Mm. I think that's where they took the photo from. But they took out, I think, his back shoulder or they made his collar a little different. So now she's kind of just resting in the air. Yeah. And I always thought when I looked at this poster that she was leaning on his shoulder. Nope, they took that away. And I'm. it's a little bit of a pet peeve there. Interesting. <laughs> you don't mind putting that artwork in the, hey, you, yes. you don't mind doing more for this podcast than <laughs> Absolutely. 99% of the things you do. Not a problem. Well, I'll be honest. So the, our first night watching this movie, we stopped right after the bulls got on the ship. Oh. The, the first ending of this movie. Very we nice. Actually, we, made it to, we made it to there. Mm -hmm. At that point, I probably would not have rated the movie super high. Okay. Because it was fine, but... It felt kind of weird at that point. Sure. And you don't get a lot of the deep relationship moments that you do in the second half of the film. Mm -hmm. Watching the whole thing and talking about it with you has <laughs> been enjoyable. And I think I would, I would want to give this movie another go for sure. I was going to give it three and a half, but I don't want people to think that this is a mediocre movie because I do think there are really good relationships and good stories here and the fact that there are like real historical events that this movie portrays mm -hmm. like when i actually found out that that bombing was a thing and that this movie might be tied more to reality than i assumed that brought me into it even more right and so my final rating i will give this movie a four out of five nice i'll give it a four out of five nicole kidman's eyes get a whole five out of five <laughs> Hugh Jackman's physique gets a five out of five and whatever other weird elements or whatever, it really can only bring it down a full point if anything. So I'll give this four out of five cheeky bulls. It's my official rating. Wonderful. 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 And I would say the biggest difference between the, I watched it several times back in 2009. The biggest 
biggest difference between when I watched it then and now is that I think Hugh Jackman, Nicole Kidman romance has been downplayed a little bit because mm. it was everything when I first watched it. Right. And I think the other relationships definitely shine in my 30 something year old mind. Yes. All right. Well, you gave me an idea for a top five that is uh, <laughs> preposterous. <laughs> I'm struggling with because I've not seen 95% of the movies in these I lists. gave you so many lists to go off of, and I'm making this so all. loose. I perused them all, but I, yeah, no. <laughs> one, of the, one of the ones in the list was, uh, oh, it was something ridiculous. Jurassic Park? Yeah, Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, what? Okay, listeners, here's what I did. Yes. We're back to top five. Yes. Sorry we were gone for a while. It's been a little bit of a busy time. That's right. But we got one now. But here's our top five. I'm going <laughs> to try to say it in a way that encompasses everything. Top five movies mm-hmm. that involve a place in the title. <laughs> was that loose enough? It was going to be yeah, yeah, that's titles good. that were actually locations. But <laughs> would, would Star Wars count? Because <laughs> <laughs> it involves the word star? exactly right and jurassic park has the word park in it no these are uh, what i want are uh, what are the words proper nouns of places right in movie titles top five so yeah while we are i have to organize this steven say a few words as filler and you at home (laughs) or in the car wherever you're listening to this you try to think of some movies that are names (laughs) of places this is a very difficult <laughs> top five because I'm scrolling these lists that Nate had sent me. First of all, many of these movies are old, 50s, 60s, 70s. An Istanbul movie from 1957. Never seen that. And really the only ones that I can include are pretty vague. Well, not vague. There's, there's someone that has the literal place name in it. But Oh, wait a minute. Oh. I just saw London Has Fallen. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not going to include that one. You haven't seen that one. Is that the new one? Well, there's White House Down, and then there's London Has Fallen. I thought it's Olympus Has Fallen. That's right. All three of those are actual movies. Yes, Olympus Has Fallen, White right. House Down, and then London. I've seen all those. Yeah. Uh, I, let it be known to listeners, we had to go through movies such as Fast and the Furious colon Tokyo Drift, because it had the word Tokyo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm ready when you are. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I got them. Okay. I have some honorable mentions. Do you have some? I don't, so go ahead. Oh, well, you know what? I'll put Munich in my honorable mentions. Mm. I remember that movie, and it was a very good. tough movie, but it was very good. But yeah, go ahead. I have a lot of them. Okay. Um, Italian job, but I don't know. It's not Italy See, job. that's not, yeah. yeah, yeah okay. I was going to say. Okay. That, I don't know the Cross it off. It's not even an honorable, honorable mention. It's been disqualified for mm-hmm, doping. <laughs> okay. Casablanca, honorable mention. All right, All right. Mm-hmm. Elizabethtown, honorable mention. Orlando Bloom. Kirsten Dunst. Okay. <laughs> angsty. If you like some angsty road trip movies, Elizabeth Town. Mm-hmm. And then okay. Selma. Saw it on a plane. Martin Luther King Jr. story about Selma. Oh, okay. Where is Selma at? Is that Alabama? Selma Hayek? I think those are all my honorable mentions. All right. Number yeah. five for me is 310 to Yuma. Oh. For Yuma, Arizona. I think it's Arizona. It could be New Mexico. Mm. Now that I think about it, could be, <laughs> could be. I'm really struggling here. <laughs> could be Nevada, and I think it's Arizona. Three ten to Yuma. Christian Bale, Russell Crowe, top notch. Number five. All right, very good. My number five. I don't want to hear you scoffing at this because I think this this is. This right, I'm, gonna my, I'm gonna do my best scoff sound. Rio. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> Listen, it is a place, Rio de Janeiro. Of all the movies my kids have watched multiple times, I like Rio. It's fun music and a fun story. I like it. Yeah. So anyway, absolutely. Rio, number five. And I didn't really mean to scoff. I, I like Rio. Oh, I know. I know you did that. Yeah. It was, I just it was all an act. The sound. Yep. It's all an That's act. Fine. Number four, Tombstone. Oh, wow. Hmm. Named after Tombstone, Arizona. You ever seen this movie? Val Kilmer? No, I'm not. No, no, not seen oh, it. Oh, man. It's a West. It's a West. Do you like Westerns? Uh, yeah. Okay. Here and there. Anyway, it's about like Wyatt Earp, Kurt Russell's in it, Val Kilmer. Pretty good. Based, I think, Tombstone, Arizona. Is Very good. That's two westerns in a row for me. My number four, Sweet Home Alabama. 
I recently saw the latter half of this movie in the cardio cinema about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and it was still mm-hmm. enjoyable. Okay. My number three, Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, look at that. Patrick Dempsey, not a bad guy. Yes. Really gets the bad guy treatment in that. I re- feel sorry for him every time. He's just a rich guy who wants to buy nice jewelry for her. <laughs> That's right. Doesn't do anything wrong. Usually they make the, the guy that she leaves kind of a jerk. He's not a jerk. Right. He's just not the guy who tries to catch lightning in the bottle. I still don't know what he does out there with that lightning in the... Tries you to put the glass. lightning rods in the sand and yes. lightning hits the rod which goes yes. into the sand and it makes glass. And then what, That's happens? what happens? Then what does he you do? Take the glass. You, yes. You, then you blow the glass into different shapes. Is that what... Did he? Did, was he a glass blower? The, he had the whole shop of glass knickknacks. That's what he was, did. He made stuff out of glass. Is that what he did for a living? Well, I think he wasn't doing anything for a while, and then he opened that that shop right like the day before her wedding. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I need to see this movie again. I only know that because it was in the cardio cinema, and that's sure. one of the I, scenes. I, I, yeah. that, I understand that played during the thirty minutes. But anyway, all right. Well, my number three, I put Australia there. I think this is firmly in the top five. My number two, Australia. Oh, look at that! Look at us go. Oh man, but you're gonna make fun of one of my top two. I just if you thought. want, if you want to hear our thoughts on Australia, take the slider bar and move it far <laughs> to the left because you missed it. We already talked about Australia, right. <laughs> but chances are, if you're it's, hearing our voices in this moment, <laughs> you'll have heard us. Well, already, just, Stephen. If someone's in the cardio cinema and oh, a movies in the side episodes playing, I don't want them to jump in in the last 15 minutes mm, and not know. That's true. Fair enough. How can we get that deal with the gym places to play our podcast? I feel like it'd be hard to do that in a cardio cinema. We're going to need to start recording videos. That's what we got to do. If you're Patreon.com. Patreon.com slash movies on the side. All right. My number two is the classic romance Sleepless in Seattle. Tom Hanks. Meg Ryan. Hmm. We're going to have to do this movie. I've th- I think about it a lot. I think about Sleepless in Seattle more than I should because it's <laughs> never quite done it for me. And yet, I okay. love Serendipity, which is basically just Sleepless in Seattle again. <laughs> and also, You've Got Mail. Have you seen that? I have seen You've Got Mail. But You've Got Mail doesn't involve them like missing each other over and over again. Isn't that like Sleepless in Seattle? They're like, yeah. he goes up the stairs, she goes down the stairs. Yeah, but I mean, that's like a couple scenes that's not the whole oh, movie. okay okay i guess serendipity <laughs> turned that into a whole movie my bad yeah yeah well what's your number one my number one is i believe 1939 the movie mr smith oh, goes wow. to washington oh my goodness i probably have said it before on this but i'll say it again this is a top five movie for me of all time jimmy stewart mr smith goes to washington he's representing the boy scouts He's in Congress. He's in some sort of thing. Hmm. It is Jimmy Stewart's best performance. It will make you want to care about politics again if you've stopped. It is fantastic. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Hmm. It's by Frank Capra, the same guy who did uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, okay. Please watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington sometime, Stephen. Love to chat with you about it. Okay. Well... Your deep pull for your number one is going to make my number one seem a little frivolous. Sahara. And honestly, I... Oh, Sahara. Hold up. No. <laughs> nope. Not for you. For me. Hold on. Hold on. I know. I know. Uh, strike two. Okay. Okay. 310 to Yuma's out. Tombstone's down to number five. Sweet Home Alabama's down to number four. Sahara is now in number three. Australia two. Mr. Smith goes to Washington one. Let that be canon because Sahara is the bomb.com. Thank you for coming today. Uh, uh, That's hilarious. And I will put Hacksaw Ridge in my number one slot. Hacksaw Ridge, I feel confident that it was a great quality movie. I enjoyed it. That you watched. I think it is worth seeing. Yes, it is very good. I listened to a war movie podcast where they talked about it. They were not crazy about much of the movie, that aside. But apparently, they did some fact-checking and 
I guess the ridge was not as... Did you see this movie? No, I did not. Okay, well, I, I won't go into detail, but apparently the location maybe not have been super accurate as portrayed in the movie, but it still is a place. The movie name is the place. In the movie. Yes, exactly. So I will. that is my number one, Hacksaw Ridge. I want to ask our Mott's fam something. You there. If you have not rated us five stars in Apple Podcasts yet, and you love the show, we know you do because you're listening to it right now. Millie Bobby Brown, I'm talking to you. We know you listened to our Godzilla episode. Why don't you go ahead and give us that five-star rating in Apple Podcasts, and it's going to help us be discovered by even more people. Agreed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Nate concurs. So that's that's a two for two. So give us five stars there, but also don't forget we have merch. I don't know if you saw Nate, but I put some uh, new gray shirts on the Mott store. Ooh, I did not. I need to go check it out. There's a light gray and a dark gray Mott shirt. And so you can go to mottsfam.com and check those out there. Perfect. Voice comes out of the well, actually. Well, actually. Well, actually. You get that? Do you get that joke? Have you ever heard that joke? No. Like a voice comes out of a well, and it's the well called actually. So a voice comes out of the well, actually. I thought that was funny. I didn't make up, make it up. But. Wait, explain that joke to me some more. I, the well is called like the name of the well is actually like it's a double entendre. Okay, because Don't explain you that. can say. A voice comes out of the... I think I know what a double entendre yes. means, but... Like, well, actually, is the thing that people say nowadays when they're trying to correct someone. Okay, got it. And it, it's typically a voice that no one cares to hear. So as someone is starting to do it, you uh-huh. can say, oh, a voice is coming out of the well, actually. Also meaning, like, there's a well somewhere called actually, and this voice is rising from this well that... Got it. Also, no, no one I, cares okay. to hear. Okay, I understand that so. now. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've honestly said that a couple times around the office, and I know that no one understands what I'm. Right. Th- no one understands the joke, so I don't go. I don't go into depth to explain it. Well, have you seen that new camping movie? What movie is that? Well, I don't know what it's called, but it was intense. Like a scary movie. Oh, oh, oh my it goodness, was Nate! Intense. Now that's called a double entendre. What that is? <laughs> is that a double entendre? <laughs> Nailed it.